and welcome to the Peaceful Pastures podcast, finding peace in the pastures, spending 10 minutes each day with your shepherd. I am Pastor Daniel Lewig, and this podcast is brought to you by Christ Countryside Ministries, the regional ministries of St. John's Hill Point, Trinity Lime Ridge, and Bethlehem Richland Center. On day two, we capture the context. We recognize our world today is just a little bit different than the world at the time of the Bible. There are customs, practices, idioms, descriptions of locations that are lost on us. On this day, we take the opportunity to explore the context of the chapters in front of us. Yesterday, we listened to chapters 13 through 16 of Genesis. Let's explore what's taking place surrounding this lesson. And as we do so, let us begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, blessed are they who hear the word of God and obey it. Amen. For us to understand where we are in the book of Genesis, it helps to understand that there's only one major division in this book. Chapters 1 through 11 focus on the history of the world. Chapters 12 through 50 provide the history of the Israelites, of God's chosen people. And they are called this because of God's call to Abraham in chapter 12, that all nations will be blessed through you. I will make, rise up for you from you a great nation. And so the history of the world and the history of the Israelites are connected in Abram. In Genesis chapter 13, nomadic herdsmen were common at this time. They lived in tents, and they moved from place to place. Abram and Lot were wealthy nomadic herdsmen. And it's their immense blessings that were causing conflict. They needed more space. And so Abram lets Lot have first choice of the land that is in front of them. And so Lot chose what he saw as the best, most fertile land and chose land that was near Sodom. Verse 13 acts as a foreshadowing when it states, Now the men of Sodom were extremely wicked sinners in the eyes of the Lord. But at the end of this chapter, God reaffirms his promise to Abram. Just notice how many times God comes to Abram to affirm his promises and commitment to him throughout these chapters. And notice Abram's response. Wherever he goes, he builds an altar. In Genesis chapter 14, we have the oldest piece of military history recorded in the Bible. You notice here that there are a lot of names of locations and names of kings. This area was filled with a lot of city-states. Essentially what happens here is the kings of the north invade. And verse 4 tells us why. For twelve years they served Kedorlaomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. As this takes place, Lot gets caught in the middle, and he gets captured and taken. 
it is here that we get a picture of just how big Abram's household and business operations were. As news reached Abram that Lot was captured, he goes and assembles his 318 trained men. The EHV study notes state that along with these numbers, it is very easy to give an estimate that Abram's household is well over 1,000 people. Why would Abram need 318 trained men? Obviously, they are used in uh, rescuing a lot. But this would have been how Abram would have protected his household from predators, both animals and humans. This essentially operated as his own police force. In verse 18, we meet the vague and mysterious Melchizedek. Melchizedek is referred to here as the king of Salem, the location that would later become Jerusalem. And he was also the priest of God Most High. What's interesting is we never see or hear from him again. And yet the scriptures refer to him twice later on. In Psalm 110 and in Hebrews chapter 5 through 7, both of these point to Melchizedek serving as an analogy to Christ, highlighting the role of priest and king that the Savior would serve. In verse 21, we see an exchange between King Sodom and Abram. It was customary to divvy up spoils of war. And so when Abram was successful in rescuing Lot, the king of Sodom offered for Abraham to take his cut of the spoils. But Abram refused. So why did Abram refuse? For Abram and went back to trusting in God's promise that God said that he would bless Abram, not anyone else. Abram didn't need to rely on anyone else, but merely just rely on his God. And Abram's concern was for someone else to say that it was because of them that Abram was so richly blessed. Abram wanted that credit to be to God and God alone. Abram wanted to let his life serve as an evangelic witness of the one true God. In chapter 15, we come to a significant passage in verse 6. This is the first statement in the Bible about someone who is justified by faith. The verse states, Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's always important to define terms. The term justified means to be declared righteous. You can also find the definition right in the word itself. Justified means just as if I had not sinned. And righteous means right with God, being right with God, having a right relationship with God. Credited means not earned, but something given. So what is being stated here is through faith, Abram is given a right relationship with God. 
And this is what we call grace, the gift of God's undeserved love. Three times in the New Testament, this covenant, this this verse, this picture between Abram and God is used as a picture of that grace that God provides. Romans chapter 4, Galatians chapter 3, and John chapter 8 verse 56 all refer to this covenant of justification of justification by grace through faith. But God does something more for Abram to assure him. Abram believed, but God's worried child wanted to feel more assured. The People's Bible Commentary states, When it comes to showing love to his children, God doesn't deal in minimums. It is here that God gives Abram the strongest guarantee that Abram knew. As we look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 10, it is important to note that Abram lived the first 75 years of his life in Babylonian culture. Here we see a description of a Babylonian blood oath, something that other ancient Near East cultures had something similar. Animals were killed and cut in two and were laid out on the ground, creating a path in the middle. Two people making a covenant, two equal parties, would walk in the middle. If you would break that covenant, the same thing would be done to you as done to the animals. That would be the statement made by this. But here notice that only the Lord passes in the middle. In this particular covenant, one party assumes all obligations while the other party assumes all the benefits. God makes it clear as he walks through the middle that he was doing all of this for Abram. There is nothing that Abram had to do. But notice how Abram had to wait. It isn't until near sundown that God appears. And it's here that he tells him that his descendants will be enslaved for 400 years, but will inherit the land. This was another way that God was testing Abram's faith to wait on the Lord. But despite the assurance, the faithful struggle. It had been ten years since Abram had left and come to Canaan. Ten years since God's promise to make Abram into a great nation. And in those ten years, not a single child had been born. And so we get to the account of Sarai and Hagar. It is during this time that a servant would often act as a surrogate mother. That was the legal code in that day. This was the way that the world addressed and offered a solution to people in Sarai and Abram's shoes. So what did Sarai and Abram do? They went with the world's solution versus waiting for God's. And the easy question to ask here is, 
does it make it does it make the situation better or worse? In this chapter, we see the relationship between Sarai and Hagar souring. We see Hagar showing more boastfulness about her ability to conceive over Sarai. And so what does Sarai do? She goes to Abram, and what does Abram do? Does he offer any solution? Essentially, he just says, do as you see fit. And so Sarai mistreats Hagar, and Hagar runs away. It is here that we see the first of many appearances of the angel of the Lord. And we clearly see here that the angel of the Lord is God. Notice that he doesn't speak for God, but as God. In the verses he states, I will greatly multiply your descendants. Hagar noticed this as well. When she describes God as this this angel of the Lord as, you are the God who sees me. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. God, but separate from God the Father. John 1 verse 1 describes the pre-incarnate Christ in the opening of his gospel when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so the pre-incarnate Christ gives a blessing and a warning to Hagar about her son and descendants. First, the blessing. God keeps the promise that he said, that he would give to to Abram, that all peoples would be blessed through him. So he shares with Hagar that her descendants will be multiplied and become a great nation as well. But it's also words of warning that her son and descendants would always be at odds with the people of Israel. But God looked out for Hagar, and blessed her. And so Hagar returns to Abram and Sarai. Scripture records this by stating, and Abram named his son Ishmael. What's interesting about this, note that that Abram named his son Ishmael, which is a name which means God heard, This is the name that the pre-incarnate Christ gave, the angel of the Lord gave to Hagar to name her son. This means that Abram listened to Hagar and what God had told her. Tomorrow we will join together as we put these chapters in color. This wraps up today's podcast. We invite you to join in next time and take the opportunity to share our podcast with someone in your life who could use some peace in the pastures. You can find our podcast on all major podcasting platforms. If you have any questions, feel free to contact us at Christ Countryside Wells, W-E-L-S, at yahoo.com. Our podcast is brought to you by Christ Countryside Ministries, the regional ministry of St. John's Hill Point, Trinity Lime Ridge, and Bethlehem Richland Center. Music used with permission from Koine, 
part of their soundtrack to Oh That the Lord Would Guide My Ways. You can find their music on iTunes and many other online musical stores. Scripture used in this podcast is from the Evangelical Heritage Version, used with permission from the Wartburg Project. This is Pastor Daniel Lewig wishing you God's richest blessings on your day.